I will be doing the reading in Spanish. The English version will be on the screen for you to follow. Jesus, Jesus, salió otra vez hacia la orilla del mar. Toda la multitud lo siguió y él les enseñaba. Jesús iba caminando y vio a Levi, el hijo de Alfeo, sentado en el lugar donde se pagan los impuestos. Jesús le dijo, sígueme. Entonces, Levi se levantó y lo siguió. Después, Jesús fue a cenar a la casa de Levi. Muchos cobradores de impuestos y pecadores cenaron con Jesús y sus seguidores, porque muchos de ellos también lo siguieron. Cuando los maestros de la ley, que eran fariseos, vieron que Jesús estaba comiendo con cobradores de impuestos y pecadores, le preguntaron a los seguidores de Jesús, ¿por qué él come con cobradores de impuestos y pecadores? Jesús los oyó y les dijo, los sanos no necesitan doctor, los enfermos sí. Yo no he venido a invitar a los buenos a que me sigan, sino a los pecadores. This is the word of God. Let's bow our head as um, reverence to our Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, ignite in us a desire to share your word. Give to each of us this week a person or family who needs to be pointed to Jesus. Thank you for allowing us to be part of the revival of your church. Thank you for equipping each of us to carry your message. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you, Eloisa. Good morning, church. How are we doing today? My name is Kyle. I'm one of the pastors here. If you're a guest, welcome to Living Stones. Uh, we are a church that loves the Bible because we believe that God has spoken to us, to us through the Bible. So we're going to be in... Uh, Mark chapter 2 today. If you didn't have a Bible open for that reading, make sure you grab one around the room. And on those Bibles around the room, it's on page 837. So if you are a guest at Living Stones and, and today you're here, you might be having the question, uh, what is this church all about? You've seen churches, you've seen churches in the media, you've experienced uh, perhaps churches throughout your life. And uh, maybe you even have some opinions of what church ought to be. So you might be coming to this church and asking the question, well, what's this church about? Um, and actually, that's, that's a good question to ask. And today's a good day for you to be here because today we start a five-week teaching uh, series where we're going to be talking simply about what we're about. We're going to be talking about our core values, which are here up on the wall, which I came in today. And these are new art things that our art team made. Our art team is awesome. And so um, thank you, art team, for that. And What uh, we're going to be doing over the next five weeks is just talking about what drives us as a church. What are our values? Now, if you're a regular Living Stoner, or if you've been at Living Stones for a long time, if you're a leader, me saying, we're going to do a series on our values, you might be like, oh my gosh, another values sermon. You might be rolling your eyes or saying, sweet, now I can think about the football game or whatever. But here's what I'm going to ask of you. If you're a leader or a member of this church, don't check out right now. Um, because, first of all, it's been two years since we've done a value sermon. All right? So suck it up. And then second of all, um, may I remind you that just as people, we have a tendency to wander. 
And when God's people in the scriptures wander away, he always calls them back. And then at the beginning of him calling them back or at the end, he always reminds them who they are. Because your understanding of who you are leads to how you live. And so don't check out uh, because we have to be reminded of who we are supposed to be in light of Christ. And so we're titling this series, The Table. And the reason being is that a table holds a significant place for all of us in our lives. Um, Big things happen at tables. Big decisions are made at tables. Uh, Executives for big companies decide the future of the organization at a table. Pastors make decisions over prayer and, and guide the church, oftentimes around a table. War is declared from a table. Peace treaties are signed at a table. Big decisions happen at tables. Tables are also a place in which we're formed, quite literally, in fact. Many of you have New Year's resolutions this year because you don't like how you were formed at the table last year based on what you ate. Your participation at the table on a regular basis will shape you. It will form your life. Um, And I'm not speaking just physically, but also relationally. You learn how to relate as you sit around a table with other people. As you grow up in a family and you sit around a table, you learn how to have a relationship or a dysfunctional relationship at a table. It forms us. It forms us. Um, And then a table is also a place where you learn about other people. When you have an interview, if the interview goes well, a lot of times you'll be invited to another interview and it's a meal at a table. If you're going on a date with somebody, a special person, you invite them out to have a drink or a dinner at a table. If you really like them and you want your parents to affirm them and that you can marry them, what do you do? You bring them home to a table because a table is where you can find out who somebody is and what they value. And Christianity is no stranger to this either. At the core of every worship gathering, we have a table. The Lord's Supper. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, before he went to the cross, Jesus gave his people a meal by which they were to remember him and, remember, and a meal by which we're supposed to remember who we are in light of what he's done for us. And this is the table of the Lord's Supper, the table of communion, or also known as the Eucharist. And so this is what we find today at the table. And so through this series, we're just gonna be looking at um, each one of our core values through the lens of Jesus at the table. And today we find that Jesus reclines at table with sinners because God's heart is to make outsiders insiders. And as a church, we want to have God's heart. We want to make outsiders insiders. Now, when I use that phrase, outsiders, don't, be, don't get offended because I'm negatively labeling somebody. Here's what I mean by it. Simply this. Nobody likes to be the outsider at a party, Right? I'm a pastor. I get invited to do a lot of the weddings, but a lot of times I do the wedding ceremony and then I'm just like sitting at the table over in the corner by myself. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Some sympathy, finally. You know what I mean? It's, it's terrible to show up to a place and to be invited in, but then also just to be stuck in the corner as if you're not wanted. That ought not to be the church of God because that's not God's heart. 
God's heart is to make outsiders insiders. And that's all I'm saying here. And this, we see this in this text. So let's read it together. Mark chapter 2, starting in verse 13. If you're new to the Bible, the chapters are the big numbers, verses are the little numbers. He says this, we, Jesus went out again beside the sea, and all the crowd was coming to him. And he was teaching them. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. And as he reclined at table in his house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. And the scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And when Jesus heard it, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. In this passage, we see a surprising invitation, a holy aggravation, or excuse me, a religious aggravation, and a holy declaration. That's how I'm going to break up my sermon. First of all, we see a surprising invitation. We see Jesus giving a surprising invitation to an unlikely candidate to become one of his disciples. Jesus is going out by the sea. And he's going out and there's a huge crowd that's following him because they've never heard teaching like Jesus is teaching before. They said that this man taught with real authority, not the authority that the scribes and Pharisees had, but with real authority as from heaven because they were recognizing that this man was from heaven. Jesus had just done many miracles. He just healed a paralytic and and also pronounced that he forgave him of his sins, which means that Jesus was claiming himself to be God And so people were interested in this and they were following him. It says the whole crowd was coming to him and he was teaching them. And what we can draw from this is that Jesus, uh, he didn't come just to do miracles. He came to teach us about who God is. And this is what he's doing for us in the passage. So there's a huge crowd around Jesus and he passes by a guy named Levi, also known as Matthew, who wrote the book of Matthew, He passes by this guy who's sitting at a tax booth. You see, before Matthew was a follower of Jesus, he was a tax collector. And tax collectors, when we read that in modern time, it's not like he worked as an employee for the IRS. If you were reading this from a first century Palestinian context, you would be like, oh, a tax collector? Those people are terrible. And you would say that for two reasons. Number one, because tax collectors were like uh, government-sanctioned uh, thugs. They were people who were Jews, but they worked for the Roman government to tax their own Jewish people. And the Roman government allowed them to do whatever they wanted to the people that they were searching, except for they, the only thing that they couldn't do was grope women. But they could go through anybody's possessions at any time and then charge them taxes for it and charge them extra and keep the extra for themselves. And so a lot of times the way that tax collectors worked is the Roman government would find one person who would agree to be a tax collector. He would go out and find a bunch of worthless men or men to go and uh, join his pursuit of, of also taxing and it would be like a pyramid scheme system. And then they would go out and they would search everybody. So when you hear tax collector, think something kind of like TSA at the airport, but evil, okay? Like the people who uh, are trying to take advantage of you, people who are stealing your money, people who don't want to uh, respect your privacy. 
So they were disliked for that category. And then secondly, they were disliked because they were Jews who had sold out to work for the Romans, the enemy. And so the pious Jews really didn't like tax collectors because the taxes that were collected went to the building of Roman temples. And so they viewed tax collectors as active participants in idolatry and not only traitors against the Jewish people, but traitors against God himself. And so the religious community had totally pushed these people to the outside as worthless and unworthy of God's love. But what does Jesus do? When he passes by the tax booth, he looks at Levi and says, I want you, follow me. Now, we all know as good boys and girls that when a stranger walks up to you and says, follow me, you don't follow him. Especially he's got a van and he's offering you candy. But this was a different kind of invitation. This was an invitation to discipleship. Jesus, uh, you see, in, in their society, the highest honor would be to have a rabbi, a holy man, come up to you and say, I want you to follow me and become one of my close followers, my close students and disciples. And I'm going to invest my life into you. And I'm going to pour everything I know into you so that you might know God and teach others to know him as well. This was a high honor. And plus, Jesus had some clout. He was a great teacher, a miracle worker. There was crowds flocking around him. He was extremely popular. And this popular guy comes up to Levi, who was this, considered this evil man. And he says, you follow me. And so that's why Levi just rose and followed him. And then Levi invited him over to his house. And we can see that he has a big house. So he's doing well in this tax collecting business. He has a big house because there's many other people there. And he has a house big enough to support all those people and also feed them. And it says in verse 15, as he reclined, as Jesus reclined at table in his house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. So what we see is Jesus is sitting there reclining with tax collectors and sinners. Now what's going on here is this, they're having a meal. And when uh, they ate meals, they didn't eat at tables like we do sitting down like this, um, they reclined on their side and they had a meal and they took their time because there's nothing better than a meal and a nap. And they would eat those meals and they would laugh and they would enjoy each other's company, fall asleep a little bit, but they, they enjoyed their company together. They took their time because for the Jewish community, a meal was a covenant of friendship. It was a way to open up your life to somebody else and to have them open up their life to you. And this is where we find God opening up his life to notorious sinners and tax collectors. The people who the religious community had pushed out. And so we're introduced to another category of people here, people who are known as sinners. Now you might be confused by that because if you've been coming to church, you realize we're all sinners, aren't we? But these people had a category for these people and they called them sinners. And what that means is simply this, sinner means to miss the mark of God's law. And if you're labeled a notorious sinner means that you have a public and overt life in which you give no regard to God's law and you are just living hell-bent to break his law. 
And so these are people who, who were um, thieves and gangsters and addicts. These are people who were living sexually promiscuous lives, who were prostitutes, who uh, were just saying, I'm going to live my life however I want. They were known idolaters. They were slimy politicians. These are the people in the house. And this is where we find our Lord. Hanging out with them. Reclining at table. Not having business meetings but reclining, chilling, hanging out, chopping it up, shooting the breeze, enjoying the company of these people. Why? Because Jesus loves sinners. He doesn't love the sin, of course not. He doesn't love the wickedness, of course not, but he loves the person, amen? And it's surprising It's surprising because, uh, first of all, this is where God desires to be. And we've just kind of grown accustomed to thinking that God probably desires to be in churches. But did you know that he also desires to be with sinners? And then it's also surprising to us because it's where sinners desire to be is around him. Oftentimes we have this wrong assumption that people don't want to be around Jesus. Well, if you have a Jesus that sinners don't want to be around, you don't have a Jesus of the scriptures. Sinners wanted to be around Jesus and he wanted to love them. This is why it's so surprising. You see, we have this, just based on the art and all the history of the church, we have just, I think a lot of times, this false understanding of who Jesus is. A lot of times, let's put those pictures on the screen. We see Jesus, like I Googled the word Jesus and clicked on images, and these are the, some of the first two images that came up. And it's just this Jesus who's like, looks like Fabio, and like he's modeling for a detergent commercial, and he's just like out of touch with reality. And this is kind of the history of what the church has passed on to us, right? And so a lot of times we think that Jesus is unapproachable or he wants nothing to do with us, but that couldn't be further from the truth because this isn't a picture of who he is in the scriptures. Rather, I think here's some better pictures of who we see Jesus as. So the one here on your left is Jesus sitting at a table with a bunch of people, laughing and enjoying a meal. And the one on your right is Jesus at a party, perhaps a wedding, dancing with a bunch of kids. These are more of a refreshingly earthy picture of who Jesus actually is. That God desires to be in our lives, in the nitty gritty, and to enjoy our company. Did you know that God doesn't just love you? He actually likes you. Like... A lot of times we think, yeah, God loves me, but he kind of doesn't like me. He'd rather me to go to my room. A lot of times we have this picture of God as like a cruel schoolmaster who just wants to whip good boys and girls into shape. But no, God is a God who loves to know his people. He loves you and he likes you and he wants to be in your presence. This is why he came to earth. But I want you to notice something. If this is the way of Jesus, it should also be the way of those who follow Jesus. Shouldn't it be church? Look at what it says. It says there were many tax collectors and sinners who were reclining at table with Jesus. And what does it say? And his disciples. In other words, if this is the way that Jesus lived, there is an expectation for your life. If you call yourself a disciple of Jesus, that this is the way that you're living also. 
So church family, is this the way that you're living? Do you find yourself on a regular basis reclining with notorious sinners? Hanging out with your neighbors who are far from God? You might have to say, well, I, you know, I just know a bunch of church people. Well, we live in the second most unchurched place in the United States. You don't have to go far to find people who don't love Jesus. You just have to go across the street. Do you have those people over to your house? What about your coworkers? What are the, about the people who are doing very blatant, wicked things? Do you ever pursue them in friendship? Have a meal with them? Stay late after work and go out and have a drink? This is what we're called to do, people. If we want to follow in the footsteps of Jesus, this is what the church should look like. We should look like people who are making outsiders insiders. It's the call. But a lot of times the church would rather do churchy things because it's way more comfortable to be in a room full of people that believe the same thing as you than to be thrown into a place with people who have totally opposing views. But if you're living a life where you're only doing churchy things, you're actually not following Christ, even though you think you are. And so our call is to be like Jesus. Now, that was a surprising invitation because it was the last place we'd expect him to be, but that's where he is. Now, we see a religious aggravation. In verse 16, it says, And the scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to his disciples, Why? Does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? Let me translate that for you. Why is he eating with those people? You know those people? The unholy ones? The scribes of the Pharisees were considered, um, not fairies, scribes of the fairies. (laughs) Stop the name calling over here. Whoever that was. The scribes of the Pharisees were known as experts of the biblical law and religious tradition. So where the sinners were known publicly for missing the mark, the scribes of the Pharisees were known for their passion for obedience. And they faultily believed that there were two types of people, people who were worthy of God's attention and people who were unworthy of God's attention. And of course, they considered themselves people who were worthy of God's attention. And they considered these notorious sinners as people who were unworthy of God's attention. So they grumbled when they saw Jesus hanging out with these people. Because they said, you can't hang out with the holy man until you become holy. But that's ridiculous because that's not how love and relationships work. I was talking with my friend and uh, pastor, Ryan Smith. He's a pastor at uh, the Reno Livingstone's PM service. And he said he went back home to Georgia. And it was really great because his brother, who lives in Georgia, invited his girlfriend over for some of the holiday meals. And Ryan said, it would have been ridiculous if we looked at her and said, you know what? It's nice that you want to come over and date my brother and everything. But you can't hang out with us until you become a Smith. Until you take our last name. That would have been ridiculous because that's not how love and relationships work. You get to know somebody by hanging out with them. They get to know you. And then over time, they get to decide if they want to be a part of the family. And that's how the kingdom of God works. But sadly, many churches function more like the Pharisees. We have this more this attitude of like, our gathering is our gathering. And, you know, if you want to be here, fine. But we're going to ignore you until you get our last name. 
until you adopt yourself into the family of God and you become a Christian, then, then we will acknowledge you. But until that point, we're not gonna give you any time of day. And church, that's not following Christ, that's following the Pharisees. You see, the way of Christ is to say, yeah, come, learn about who God is, be a part of our community, learn about who we are. We would love to know about you. And when it's time, we trust that you'll make a decision to follow him. You see, they falsely believed that their ceremonially or ceremonial tradition and worship was more important than mercy. Now, ceremony is important to God. He loves the fact that we gather and we sing to him and we hear his word and we make offerings to him and, and we remember him. But if you're only doing that and neglecting mercy for lost people, you're missing a huge part of what Jesus came to do. And so they, because they understood themselves to be holy based on their passion and their zeal for God, looked down at other people who didn't know him and didn't follow him. And we're tempted to do this in every arena of life, aren't we? Like diets. Let's talk about diets and being healthy for a minute. A lot of people, New Year's, making New Year's resolutions. Some of you are, you're going to get on that new diet. The key, what, what's popular now? The keto diet, intermittent fasting, gluten-free, whatever it is, you know. You're going you're gonna to get on this. You're going to feel healthy. And eventually, you might ha- start to have the tendency to look down at other people who aren't as healthy as you. Those filthy animals who are eating fast food and drinking soda. We have a tendency to do that, don't we? Or let's talk about school for a second. You're in school. You're working hard. You're one of those students who like pays attention, doesn't talk in class, does your homework, studies for tests. Oh, you look down at the people who are just slacking. And then when you get picked for a class assignment and you have to work in a group and they get on your team, oh, you hate it because you think you're way better than them, don't you? Or let's talk about being on time. Some of us are on time people. We believe that on time is 15 or five minutes early. And oh, how we look down on those late people, those disrespectful heathens who can never show up on time for anything. We have a tendency to do this, don't we? The more you give yourself to something, the more your tendency is to look down on others who aren't giving themselves to the same things. And this is devastating in all relationships and all arenas of life, but it's, it's eternally devastating when it happens in the church. Because here's the thing. The more you give yourself to the obedience of God and following him and making him your first love and putting him first, over time, you will start to have the tendency to look down on those who are far from God. And it's devastating in the church. And you know why? Because the church's doctrine, the Christian doctrine, is that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. David says, in sin did my mother conceive me. From the time I came out of the womb, I was born with a heart that was bent away from God. Ephesians, Paul says uh, to the Ephesians, he says, we were dead in our trespasses. Jeremiah says, our hearts are deceitful and wicked above all things. The Christian doctrine is that we're all sinners. There is no worthy people and unworthy people. There's only unworthy people whom God chooses to love. But when we start to separate ourselves out to, well, there's those people and there's us who are more deserving of God's love, it's because we have depravity amnesia. We forget. We forget that once we were there too, 
Or maybe we're there now, but we just don't see it. Oh, how our sin looks terrible on other people, doesn't it? We have depravity. And then sometimes we think, well, well, I'm not, you know, I'm not a prostitute. I'm not a gangster. I'm, I'm not judgmental. Like, I'm not doing these notorious sins. No. But do you covet? The Bible calls that idolatry. Do you gossip? The Bible calls that joining the work of Satan. Are you truly obedient in your thought, word, and deed and everything you do? You see, when we read the Pharisees' response, we're supposed to ask ourselves the question, how might I be grumbling? Depravity amnesia always leads to a serious case of the grumbles. It always leads to us looking down on other people. And church, this is why we do confession every week at church. And some of you might be like, it's so ritualistic. We, you know why we do it? Because we need not only to confess our sins and be forgiven and get that weight off our chest, hallelujah, but we also need to be reminded that we're sinners in need of grace. No matter if you follow Christ for one month or 50 years, you're a sinner in need of God's grace. And so there's a religious aggravation. So then Jesus responds with a holy declaration. Verse 17 says, and when Jesus heard it, he said to them, those who are well have no need for a physician, but those who are sick, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. He says, look, you want to know why I'm hanging out with these people? Let me tell you. Because it's sick people who need a doctor, not well people. We all know this This is a common sense illustration. Nobody wakes up in the morning is like, I'm feeling great today. I need to go to the doctor. (laughs) Nobody like says, my teeth are awesome. I need to go to the dentist. Like you go to the doctor when you're hurting. You, uh, You finally submit and go to him when you admit that you can't fix yourself. And so Jesus says, this is what I came to do. I came to call those who are sick. I came, I came to call those who know they're sinners, not those who think they're righteous. He doesn't say I didn't come to call the righteous uh, because there is righteous people out there. No, but he says that because there's a lot of people who think they're righteous and don't need a physician. And so like for me, I hate going to the doctor. Sorry if you're a doctor in here, it's nothing against you. Personally, I just hate going to the doctor. I avoid the doctor like the plague, even if I have the plague. I'm always like, I can beat this. No illness is going to bring me down. But if that illness persists or the pain persists and beats me down to a point where I realize I can't do this anymore, then I submit and go to a doctor for need of help. And you see, this is who Jesus came for. Jesus came for the people who are willing to admit, man, my life is empty without God. I've been trying to lead my own life and it's just, it's just leading me into more sickness. I got a sick heart. I'm messed up. You know, the scribes and Pharisees, they looked at, the, at these notorious sinners and tax collectors and they mocked them. But you know what? At least the tax collectors, as evil as they were, were, were willing to admit that they were sick and they needed a doctor. We find with Levi, he's one of them. And he ends up repenting and following Jesus and writing a whole book so that we can know more about Jesus. Levi was a jacked up dude. 
but at least he was willing to admit it. Are you? The only thing that is preventing you from God is your own stubbornness, which is causing you to not admit that you, don't, that, that you need him. That's the only thing that's preventing you from coming to God is your own stubbornness. And what we see here with Jesus is he's giving us an invitation. He's saying, I have come for all those who are willing to admit their need for me. I've come to forgive you no matter how messed up and jacked up you are. I've come to forgive you and to love you and to restore you. Will you only just admit it? This passage is recorded for us for at least two reasons. Number one, it's recorded for us so that we might see that no matter how far we feel like we've ran from God, his grace wants to reach into that depth and pull us home. That you can never run faster than his grace. You will never be able to uh, sin so bad that God can't forgive you. I mean, these tax collectors and sinners had done some horrible, awful things. But where do we find Jesus? Still pursuing them and offering them forgiveness. And it's the same for you. If you've done awful things, if you think I could never be forgiven for the things I've done. And in fact, I just end up keep, I keep repeating the sin over and over and over again. There's no way that God wants me. What you can look at this passage and you say, yes, God still wants me. He still loves me. I talk to a lot of people and invite them to church and they say, oh, Kyle, you don't want me to come to your church. Based on what I've done, if I walked into your church, the walls will catch fire and fall down on us. You heard this before? And I say, no. Like they think that if they come into God's presence, God will kill them. And I remind them, you're already in God's presence. He's everywhere. If he wanted to kill you, you'd be dead. But the reason you're alive is because God doesn't want to kill you. He wants to give you grace. He wants to give you love. He wants to give you mercy. He wants to show you how much he cares about you. So come to church. So that's the first reason why. The second reason why this is recorded is to show us how to follow the way of Jesus rather than the way of the Pharisee. It's to show us what it looks like to welcome outsiders, to recline at table with them. And what it means for us is, you see, this is what Jesus came to do. He didn't teach in this passage with only his words. He taught with his actions. You see, if God needed to teach us only in his word, he would have stayed in heaven and just continued speaking from heaven. But he took on flesh to show us his heart. He took on a body. He lived a life amidst us. And now the body of Jesus has been crucified. Jesus resurrected from the grave. And he also ascended up into heaven. So now Jesus and his body sit in heaven. Well, how is the world going to know his love? The answer is still the same, through his body. But now the church is called his body. And so the church is supposed to be the body of Christ going into all these different places of the world, doing what Jesus did, making outsiders insiders, reclining at table with notorious sinners. This is what we're called to be. And so my challenge to you, church, is this. Make this one of your goals for 2019. Like, what if you said, okay, we're going to have a meal at least once or twice a month with somebody who doesn't know Jesus. Not to make them a project, just simply to befriend them and love them. Can you do that? What if you made a decision? We're gonna have a meal with our neighbors once or twice a month. 
You eat a lot, you eat 21 meals in a week. You could do one meal a week. And I'm only asking you to do it once or twice a month. What if you did that? What if we all did that? I bet you'd we'd see a lot more interest in who the real Christ is. Because lost people, these people long to know God, but they feel written off. And so you're surprised when they don't want to come to church because they feel like we've already written them off. So what if we showed them that we want to befriend them and that we're just as messed up as they are? But why don't we do this? I asked the staff, what is keeping us as a church from making outsiders insiders? We came up with four reasons. The first reason was this, is that there's this common belief within Christianity. And and if you're a guest here, I'm speaking mainly to the Christians, but this is a good insight for you to learn how Christians think, okay, and get into our heads a little bit. There's a common belief within Christianity that if you hang out with sinners, you're going to be contaminated with sin. And so we say, oh, we have to completely withdraw from culture. We have to completely withdraw with those, those movies, those shows. We have to completely withdraw with, with the, from those people and those settings because we don't want to be contaminated with sin. And sure, there's some wisdom to all of that. But it's not like people have sinner cooties. Okay? And the sin you should really be worried about is the sin, not in them, but in your own heart. One time I was hiking and I was by myself. I came up on top of a mountain. I'm like, finally some peace. I'm not around any sinners. And I swear I heard the the Holy Spirit say, you're here. (laughs) And I was like, okay. But there's not this like sinner cootie thing that we need to be afraid of because a few reasons why. One is just logic. It's possible to be friends with somebody and not agree with everything they do and not participate in everything they do, right? Like by me saying you need to be friends with people who don't know God, I'm not saying you need to condone everything they're doing or join them in everything they're doing. I'm just saying be a friend. That's it. And by the way, do you believe, Christian, that you have the Holy Spirit of God who's more powerful than the sin that is always attacking us? So we don't need to be afraid. Okay? The second reason why uh, we often don't pursue sinners and people who are outside the church is because we're afraid of what they're going to think of us. We don't want to be called the weirdo, the Bible thumper, We don't want to be considered uncool, but so we just like, well, I'd just rather stay home and just stick to myself and my Christian friends. But here's the thing. By and large, my experience is this, is that when you hang out with people who have totally different values and belief systems in you, if you stay true to who you are in Christ, they'll respect you. They might mock you and make fun of you a little bit, but at the end of the day, they'll expect, respect you because you have integrity. And you'll also find this, that a lot of the people who you thought were the cool people have some of the deepest insecurities. And so when you hang out with them and, and you're like, I don't have to be secure, insecure and worry about what you guys approve of me because I already have the approval of God in heaven. You can just be yourself and people will respect that. And you being you is cool. Because let's face it, we're all weird. Right? Like, have you lived in a family ever? Like, you learn that you're weird in a family. And other people, I'm always like, our family is weird. But I think that's every family. So we just need to get over that church. And just accept the fact like, 
God, stop worrying about that trivial stuff and just be a friend. Be a friend. Uh, the third reason why is because it's uncomfortable to pursue outsiders. Because you find yourself around people who have a different value system, a different moral system, different beliefs about God. And so the jokes they say, the things they watch, how they talk about each other, the bitterness they hold, the gossip they get into, it can make you uncomfortable sometimes. Um, we support a ministry called Scarlet Hope here at this church. And what Scarlet Hope does is they go to the brothels and the strip clubs and they befriend the women who are the prostitutes and the strippers. And the reason why they do that is because many of those women have been completely abandoned. And the only people who love them are people who want something from them. And so as a church, we say, you know what? Those are people that Jesus loves. And so our ladies who work for that ministry, they pray and then they go in once a week to these strip clubs and brothels and they bring them a meal and they just try to befriend these ladies. And it's been really great. But I was talking to Andrea, who is one of the workers, and she said the first day she was there, it was so uncomfortable. Because she walks in, she doesn't know what to expect, she's fully clothed, and she's just sitting in the locker room, and there's naked people everywhere. <laughs> and she's like, I don't know what to do. Like, I don't, this is, this is new territory for me. But because of what she's done, she's been able to befriend and make great relationships with a lot of those girls and walk in the way of Christ. She's been able to see God move in miraculous ways. And I believe that the church in America is just way too addicted to comfort. And we're like, we want to see miracles. We want to see God move. Well, it's, you got to get over your comfort. If, we're, if we stop worshiping comfort and start worshiping the living God of the Bible, I bet you we'll start seeing some miracles. We start entering into those dark places with the hope and love of Jesus. I bet you we'll start seeing God answer some prayers in miraculous ways. And so this is our call. We cannot worship comfort. And then the next one, and I think that this is a big one for us, is apathy. One of the biggest reasons why we don't pursue outsiders is we just don't care. We don't care about them. We don't love them. We say, we come here on church on Sundays, we were like all about love, but then we walk out and we don't love, we don't care. Because we're like, man, my life is so busy. I got my own problems. I got my own family. I'm just trying to survive and keep my head above the water. I don't have time for other people. But you see, that is the lie of the devil. And ever since sin entered the world, sin's goal has been to try to get you to focus on yourself. That's why Augustine called it incurvatus et se, meaning that sin gets you to just look inward, to curve in on yourself. But the Holy Spirit does just the opposite. The Holy Spirit comes into your heart and gets you to look up to God and out towards others. And so if we're to be the church of God, we're to be a church of love. And love means that we need to care. And I'm not saying you need to go out and be golfing buddies with everybody out there in the world. I'm not saying they need to have meals with everybody every, every night of the week. I'm just saying one person, two people in your life, who has God put there for you to pursue? Because we're called to be a people of love. And this is what we see here. In this passage, we see that Jesus loves outsiders enough to recline at table with them. But there's another table later on in Jesus' life, the table of the Last Supper, where we see that Jesus loves sinners so much that he's willing to die for them. At that table, he took a piece of bread and he said, this is my body broken for you, take and eat. And he took a cup of wine, which was a wine cup of redemption. He said, this is my blood, take and drink. And in that, he was saying, I'm going to give my life for you so you could come into the kingdom of God.
And when we reflect on that personally for us, it fills our hearts with gratitude, but it also makes us want to do the same. Levi in this passage became Matthew, who wrote the great gospel of Matthew, who, which highlighted the work and love of Jesus Christ. And I think that's a good picture that when you become a recipient of God's love, you become an announcer of his love. When you realize that he brought you in, you want to bring in others also. So let's be the kind of church that doesn't make people feel like they're on the outside. And let's be the kind of church that shows Jesus his love. Amen? Lord, help us. We can only do this by your love. We can only do this by your power. We can only do this by your Holy Spirit. We pray, God, that you... Um, that you would just help us to be loving instead of apathetic. We help us, that you would help us to worship you instead of comfort. We pray, God, that you would help us to not worry about what others think of us because we're confident that you approve us. And we pray, God, that you would um, just help us to be willing to go into those dark places where people need to hear about your love and people need to experience your friendship. I pray if there's anybody in here who feels lost today, who would say, look at this passage and say, I am that notorious sinner. I pray that you would, through the Holy Spirit, would just press into them that you love them still and you're not giving up on them. Where they may, have feel, uh, they may feel written off by the church, I pray that they would not feel written off by you. And we pray that you would bring them close to yourself today. In your name we pray, amen.